Tune in to The Fintech Files for exclusive interviews with fintech executives and thought leaders. We will talk about how the industry will overcome the crisis that has marked the start of the decade, how it can be part of the solution, and how the financial world will evolve in the next decade. This is your host, George Alaferis from Arama. Today, I have the opportunity to chat with Alejandra Slatapolsky, the founder of CEO of Slata, a marketing and communications firm for B2B financial services, fintech, and law firms. We'll talk about why the customer journey is so important, how tech and marketing go hand in hand, and she'll also share some of her tips to manage through this crisis. Alejandra, welcome to the show. Alejandra, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for being here. Great to be here. So let's start with a few questions since you were both in confinement. Um, where are you confined? I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in the U.S. Um, so I'm in a suburb, so I can't complain. I can at least, you know, walk around the block and see some green around me. All right. So it's, it's okay. Florida <laughs> sounds good. Um, yeah. And um, what's your working from home setup and was it a big change for you? Actually, it wasn't. I did um, have my home office before all this started. Um, of course, I also had some, you know, spaces to go and meet with people, and some. I actually used um, uh, a remote office to to do some meetings. Sometimes uh, temporary offices that I cannot use anymore. Or even sometimes you want to get away and go to a local Starbucks and have coffee and work from there. Can't do that anymore. Um, what changed? Um, well, mainly I have a kids at home, <laughs> which means a lot of interruptions. And um, my husband, too. Though that one interrupts a lot, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but... Overall, well, it's been over a month, so I feel like, you know, you start adapting and you, you know, just start seeing this as your new life, right? Um, I don't know. I just uh, feel like this is it um, for the time being. So you just try to make the best out of it. And uh, I'm actually trying to follow a a strict routine so that things are a little bit um, sane. Very good. Yeah, it sounds like we have a very similar setup, a number of kids. I'm not sure I'm following a strict routine, although I try. But what's funny as well to to, to discover during the crisis is that I don't say to people, well, unless I know them well, where I'm working or um, what's happening, you know, what exactly is my location is. And I assume that the people that I speak to are also in an office. But the more, I, the more I'm having those conversations, I realize that actually more people than I imagine have this home remote office cafe setup so it's just coming to the surface i feel yeah it's been you know it's been a transformation overall in the last few years you see how what they call the gig economy has evolved and it's just that uh, and you have a large percentage of people working you know remotely at least a few days of the week if it's not constant you know it's an, if it's not the regular setup but also um what happens is that in the corporate world, it's not, it's sort of, it, well, it used to be sort of frowned upon or, you know, not accepted um, still. 
now that we are all in the same boat, it's sort of like leveling the playing field for everybody in some way. And actually, people that used to work from home have uh, less of a hard time adapting and, you know, making it and being productive in these in these times, right? No, absolutely. It's fascinating what's how, you know, the future of work is evolving and that could be a whole other podcast. But um, let's get back to you and your current role. And first, how did you get into finance and, and fintech? So finance has been in my blood since birth. Like my, my family comes from finance. Um, we had a broker dealer back in um, Argentina where I was born. And basically finance has followed me my, my whole career in one way or another, but I went into the communications side of finance very early on. Um, so I was a, a finance journalist. Um, I organized finance um, events. And then um, as I evolved and I became a communications consultant for the financial services industry, um, it also evolved uh, in the clients that I was attending. We, I always worked with the wealth advisory side of finance, not so much on the retail, but mostly on the B2B part of finance and in private equity too. So the first clients that um, connected me to the fintech world were actually private equity investors. And that's how I started, you know, going into uh, fintech. My first fintech client was many years ago, a, a mobile payments platform called Yellow Pepper that is implemented in Latin America. So that's how I got into fintech. And I'm still, you know, now one of my, my biggest engagements is also organizing a fintech conference down here in Miami. And... Um, also, what happened was that my marketing firm was, you know, specialized on what you would say in the marketing field is lead acquisition, the beginning of the funnel, right? What you also always define as uh, marketing per se. But um, in the wealth advisory world and in the B2B arena in financial services, and in fintech too, what's, what's, what was happening is that the whole client experience was sort of getting forgotten. I, I had a very specific experience with one client that we were generating leads for them and they couldn't, uh, we were doing this amazing campaign online on social media that they were doing for the first time. But then they, they were not able to handle the load. They could not onboard them and really take care of them the way they used to because a large client base for an advisory firm or a fund firm or all of these firms, a large number of client uh, input means they need to use more technology <laughs> and they need to implement better processes. So we evolved into a firm more focused on designing a full-on client journey and client experience. Wonderful. Um, so that, and that's what yeah. your firm, Slatai, right? Is now right. that's the main that's the core of your activity. So exactly. can you tell us a bit more, maybe for someone who's not? And I, I know that um, not all the people I deal with would be fully familiar with what it means, what we mean by customer journey. Mm -hmm. So the life of a customer with any organization 
if we talk about there, it has um, three main phases, what you call client acquisition, then client onboarding and servicing and client referrals. That's the way we, we split it up. Client acquisition, you can have, you know, that's phase number one. Phase number one, you can have a variety of strategies from, you know, client acquisition through events, through social media, content, white papers, videos, etc. Then phase number two is, okay, what happens once the client is, becomes, you know, a client actually, a lead becomes a client, sorry. When a lead becomes a client, their experience is key. You know, their face, their first contact with you and how you incorporate them into your service and your process is becoming more and more important in all organizations. Um, especially service organizations such as wealth advisors or legal firms or even, you know, um, fintechs too, you know, what is in, in, in the fintech world, in the app world, they call it user experience, but it has become more than that. It has become more of your journey with them and what happens in each of your touch points with them. Um, this was, in, in, I had a lot of inspiration from a mortgage company that I used personally that um, blew my mind, honestly. Um, they have a huge team, of course, that is specialized on how they process your mortgage application and how they process actually when you buy a home. And the whole process was a combination of an online platform that gave you exactly what are the steps you are taking, but also a human touch. So basically I had to create my online account. I went in, I saw all of the steps that I, I was gonna go through and each of the steps it had, okay, here you have to upload document one, document two, the document three. Next step is gonna be, um, I don't know, the application. So just wait for us and we'll give you a call. And each, each step of the way, I would get a call and say, do you understand what you're doing right now? Are you okay? Is this fine? Okay, let's go to the next step. It was impeccable. And what happened? I recommended my mortgage company to everybody I know. And that goes into phase three. So when you really, really, really impress your customer, it's the cheapest way to acquire new ones. Your cheapest lead acquisition, in my mind, is an impeccable customer journey. Because your, your impeccable customer journey is going to generate referrals. Mm, so that's what we so call true. a customer journey. You know, it's also true, of course, when you have bad experiences, right? Unfortunately, that's the worst. That's the flip, the flip side of things. You're always going to get more negative uh, referrals and positive ones. Somebody has a bad experience with you, they're going to expand that commentary much more than when they have a positive experience with you. So for me, it's aiming at blowing their mind in the customer experience so that they are able to feel confident to recommend you to others. Um, yeah, it does seem seems to make perfect sense, especially when you say it like that. And I know that I don't, 
I don't love my mortgage company. I got it because of the cheapest rate. And it's really a pain in the neck to, to contact them or anything like that. And if someone asks me for advice on the mortgage, I say, hey, check, check their cheapest rate. But um, what's also really interesting is what you said about you know, lead, lead acquisition versus the whole customer journey. And do you see, um, I mean, from my experience, it seems like people, when they talk about marketing in finance, they still talk about, okay, how do we create leads? So how do you approach this with your clients? Do you think you have to educate them to tell them, okay, look, there's, there's, a, there's another opportunity, which is further down the line. How do you approach the conversation about, um, you know, the, the customer journey and maybe going be beyond just uh, leads? Well it really depend on, depends on your product. But my customer, for example, every, every single wealth advisor will tell you that their customer acquisitions is mainly based in, on referrals. You know, cold calling somebody to be their financial advisor is quite difficult. And it's going to take mm -hmm. you a long time to convince them, right? So my conversation with them is, okay, we have to power up your referrals. To power up your referrals, you need to impress your customers. So it's sort of like it's it's working backwards, right? You want to see what is it that they are doing. You want to see what they are doing well, and ex and you know and exponentiate that. Um, so that in that sense, it's easy. What's really hard is when I get I try to get them to implement technologies. Um, because it doesn't matter what technology you use, um, the human behind, behind it is always a problem, right? <laughs> and, uh, and the integration of that. And also making them understand that this is just, it's not a, just about technology. It's about using technology to connect better with the clients and keep the human touch. Because if you if you use technology to expand expand your net of clients that you can take care of, it's easier. So why why am I saying that? Because when you use technology, like a lot of these firms are still have a lot of manual processes. If you don't, if you you know convert your manual processes into automatic processes, it's going to free up your time to connect with customers in a human way. So that's what I'm looking for, um, to improve productivity and to improve the way they connect with customers. Um, I also work with some legal firms that they're, you know, just implementing <laughs> electronic signature is something that is way behind. Um, it's something basic that can really improve the lives of them and their clients. But they're behind. So but it's fantastic to think about that as a, as a real <laughs> marketing tool and something that will transform. It is. It is because when you don't have, when you're asking your client to print out things and sign them and mail them, yeah, you're imposing. You're you're taking away their time and asking them to work for you when you don't need to. Yeah. Um, now, what's, what's fascinating about this conversation is you tell me that for a wealth advisor. And we can imagine what they're doing, but I have a similar conversation with someone who's dealing with custodian banks. So people who deal with, who handle or safeguard trillions, right? And they have the same issues. They have to do, well, spreadsheet, paper that has to be signed. Um, so it seems to be really something fundamental 
I would say for the, the financial sector. And my next question is then, so how you become more, your company becomes more of a, I guess also a consulting firm because you have to advise on what to do for the marketing, but also what to do with the technology. Is that right? Definitely, yeah. We look at the whole client journey. That's why I talk, I, I talk about it. Um, and I also talk about it in the way of, you know, hand-holding your client. I don't want you to just, you know, I'm not saying you should implement a technology and, you know, put it in front of the face of the client and forget about it. No, to not, I, that's why I use the, the example of my mortgage company because I felt like I was handheld, but also I felt they were making things easier for me through technology. It was a combination of both. And that's the main, I think that's the main fear in financial services. Money is, you know, so ingrained in our psychology and so difficult to figure out how each you know, how each individual person has a relationship with money that I feel like the financial services industry has taken that and hold on to that without thinking that there can be a combination of technology and human because it's always, the answer is always, oh no, but my clients will not use that. My clients will not like that. It's going to feel like I'm, you know, abandoning them. Or I don't think they're interested in that. It's fine. I'll call them and tell them what's going on. Right? So I feel like they're holding on to old beliefs that mm -hmm. they don't apply anymore. Especially with the changing generations too, you know. I, if, you know, if you call a millennial on the phone, most probably they will not pick up. Yeah, that's, that's calling people on the phone. That seems something really, really awkward to me. <laughs> Although uh, <laughs> right. I've, uh, I've, uh, you know, I've uh, restarted this experience once in a while just because of the confinement thing and uh, people, many delivery people um, call me, but uh, that's about it. So uh, <laughs> right. I, I, I'm not a millennial, right? I've passed that stage, right. but um, I totally get it. And maybe it's also an opportunity. So do you want to talk about something we're talking we started to talk before um, this podcast, uh, you know, some initiative here that you're doing about wealth technology and uh, yes. projects you have. So in that we're space. launching, yeah, we're launching a new community and event called Wealth Tech Americas that is basically getting together. Of, so we have FinTech. We, you know, what I, what I view as FinTech is mostly technology companies launching products that mainly are aimed at retail at the final investor a lot of them then they have or they have fintech products that are launched p2b for in the in names of having banks to use them right i feel like whenever you go a fintech to a fintech event wealth tech so technology for wealth advisory legal advisory re related to financial services fiduciary firms and that specific niche, it's only maybe a track, right? So you go to Money 2020 and you have a track on wealth tech, but it doesn't have its own set of, you know, its own community, right? And what I'm looking to create here is 
I feel like wealth tech is way behind fintech, actually. Wealth advisory firms and everybody in the B2B arena in financial services is way behind, as you, as you were saying, custodian banks. They're way behind anything a bank has already implemented. So I feel like we had to bring them a little bit up to speed, hopefully. And that's how well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting started. I'm launching this initiative, uh, putting a, you know, some thought leaders together, um, specialized in wealth tech and launching the, the virtual event, of course, in June. Virtual, of course, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So that brings a lot more. There is we'll, no question anymore whether yeah. an event is virtual or not. Yes, and we'll put all the links um, on the description of the podcast so people can uh, look further into it. But um, that brings a lot, uh, um, a lot of new questions as well. Um, well, let's talk about events, right? Because I know it's something that you've got a lot of experience in. And one day, I mean, what do you think is the, you know, midterm future of events we're not talking about june or or july do you think this crisis has affected events in the long term i do and uh, not because i don't know not because travel is going to be restricted or because gatherings are going to be restricted i feel like this crisis has impacted the psyche of everybody and just getting to the point in which we are psychologically prepared to be in a large crowd is going to take a long time. Mm. So that's number one. But also, um, actually, I've been a big proponent for years now of small events. Um, I feel like, especially in my arena, in the B2B uh, financial services um, industry, it has, at least, and for my clients, it has been more, it has has a higher ROI to work on small targeted events than in the big ones. Big ones serve for branding, yes. They can serve for networking, yes. But if you have a product that requires long cycles of, sell, long sell cycles, requires education or requires and or requires you to gain the trust of your target market, mm -hmm. then small events have always worked out better uh, because small events allow you to connect in a more human way, allow you to you know, give content in a, in, a, in a more specific and more clear way and just you know, build relationships. Um, in a large event, you know, you go around, you hand over uh, business cards one after the other, and it's good maybe for lead generation in that sense. But for the types of products that require, again, you know, trust building, that require a long, uh, you know, educational process, mm -hmm. I've, I've always been a big proponent of small events. And they've always been very successful with my clients. All right, all right. And um, so do you think small and virtual is the way Well, to yeah, it? virtual definitely, it's, there's no other option. We are launching several virtual events with my clients. Um, in, in virtual, really, the game is changing so fast that I don't dare to, you know, actually bet on what's going to happen. There are three different types of virtual events. You have the, the completely free one, the freemium, and the paid, right? The completely free has to be subsidized by some 
sort of sponsorship and that sponsorship is going to mean that you're going to have to sell some product. The premium one is basically, okay, I'll give you a basic event for free, but also include some other, uh, you know, add-ons to the event that are paid. So that way you have sort of a hybrid there. And the paid ones, you're going to have less participants, but more engaged. Why? Because I put a commitment there. I'm paying for this course. I'm paying for this, you know, event. And so I'm not going to waste my money. I'm going to attend and use the content that, uh, that I'm paying for. So I feel sense, like yeah. there is so much offer now. The, the, the offer of online content is exploding even more than it was before because of all this situation. So the rules are going to continue to change. Um, and it's anyone's guess what's going to happen with that market. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. And, and especially, I mean, who's anyone's guess? And I mean, I guess we, we can agree that the changes are accelerating with what's happening now. And oh, for sure. What we know is that, yeah, it's, it's changing faster, but where is it going? <laughs> and um, that brings me to something else. And I know you've written a couple of blog posts about um, about how this is this is different, that... Uh, if I remember well, you were saying you will look at we're looking at a future uh, a future that will look extremely different and we'll never go back to doing business the same way or that we have to reset. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? So there are two components that are there that I thought about when writing that. One component is um, your product, no matter what your product is, it's, it's going to have to change. Um, and why is related to a second component because I feel there is a shift in the way we view the world right now psychologically that's going to impact the behavior of any purchasing decision from anyone right so when I talk about the world is not the same is related in in part to what we were talking about okay now everybody's working from home and now we accept that everybody's working from home right so what's going to happen when people go back to the office what's going to happen when they actually realize that they could work from home and organizations see that okay yeah all this money i'm spending on offices could be gone like i may save all this because the team was still productive if you did the things right right yeah yeah, yeah. and people have been forced to to try and to make it work yeah actually one of the some ceos that i was talking to i worried that people are burning out they made the transition from the office to the house um in a way that you know in with fear in their minds so they're overworking. Oh, really? Right? Oh, in that sense. Right. So that's another thing. How do you manage sure teams? Yeah. How do you manage teams remotely and make sure that not only they're productive, but they're not burning out? Mm -hmm. um, how do you make sure they connect to each other? Um, so there's so many challenges that it's it's again anyone's guess what the next normal is going to be 
but definitely I feel like it's opened up the conversation about one, how you sell product and how you gain trust from clients and prospects. So how are we going to do this remotely? Um, for yeah, the without, foreseeable without future, take hands uh, as an exactly. requirement. For a foreseeable, especially in financial services, you know, mm -hmm. trust is everything. And face-to-face -face is the main way we were trying to build trust. So how are we going to build trust now? How are we going to, you know, establish tight relationships virtually? And for me, the, the answer that comes to mind is by being more open and honest and true. Um, everything I do um, in my value proposition in, in the customer journey, I call it values-based. So I don't work with any client before we go into what are your values? What do you truly believe in? And how do you connect with others? You know, what do you connect on? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you think, do, do you find it uh, particularly challenging maybe for the financial sector? Yes. Definitely, of course, because they, okay, what, if I'm going to be blunt, yeah, they're driven my money, always, financial advisors, wealth advisors, everything is driven my money, but if this crisis is teaching us something is that if you want to connect with somebody, you're going to have to connect through the human side of them, because mm -hmm. virtually you're not going to be able to see everything that's missing there, like, there is so much that we communicate. I'm a, I'm a communicator, right? I'm a journalist, but also I, I study, I, I'm a PR major. So we study body language a lot. And, you know, we talk with our body. 90% of communication is done through your body. Well, so when you only have voice or video and you have like this separation, it's much, much harder to connect with others. That's why when I say, okay, how are we going to build trust moving forward? When you, you know, when you talk about values-based, it's key. Because right now, you need that to be able to connect to others. You need to find your, what, what they say, you find your tribe. Find who really believes in what you believe in, and you're going to connect better. Even you and I, we were talking about, you know, having kids and going through this with kids and, you know, how ages change and everything. Okay, we connected as parents, but there's something there, right? So you need with your client or your prospect to be able to connect, to build that trust and say, okay, this guy gets me. I can, you know, I can continue working with him and I may be able to, you know, whatever, buy his product, gave him money, whatever it is that we're looking from them, to get from them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, that makes sense. So just um, very specifically, do you advise clients like right now to to stop and really not just look at how you resume, but how, how do you change your process? Is that, you know, what kind of steps can they take like to, to, to um, if, if they want to take this on board? Right now, I, I'm telling them, number one, connect with the current clients. Connect in a human level, really, like, Go, be there for them. Just connect with the current clients. Don't forget about them. Don't, you know, 
do whatever is the extreme opposite of, opposite of taking them for granted. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's number one. And then in the processes, yes. Number two is, okay, I feel like business development is phase maybe even five for now, but it's okay. How does my product adapt to these new rules? Um, it really depends on what you're working with here. If it's a digital product and mostly it's not gonna be uh, that much of an impact, uh, but if it's, you know, whatever product is connected to the stock market, for example, um, first connect with the clients, right? Make sure that they're okay. Make sure they know, you know, this is a special time that they have to, you know, whatever it is, write it out. Sometimes they say whatever it is that you have to do. Uh, but also prepare for the next wave and prepare your product for, to, you know, to withstand this type of, uh, this type of crisis. Um, I was talking to a client that was talking to me, um, to a colleague, I'm sorry. He has this whole philosophy about optionality. Explore what is it that's gonna, that can happen around you. Mm. And don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to explore and come up with scenarios and decide what would happen if. Um, I read this article, there was this guy that said, uh, I spoke to the, an executive that was saying that one of his optionalities was, okay, if there is a virus coming from Asia. Because he took that into consideration because he saw SARS and he saw the, the, the other, the other mm -hmm. viruses coming. And he said, okay, what, why if, why, what if we don't stop it? Right, so he had it in his business plan. Now he in his business optionalities. Yeah, for me that was mind blowing because I'm like I, I never imagined. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know what what steps he took, but uh, that's uh, yeah. I, I guess we we have to open ourselves, uh, you know, for all those things in the future. So that's that's really great advice. Um, and I think uh, well, one of, just uh, one of the things that I thought of while you were telling me about that, connecting with clients, one thing that I found really funny is when people uh, that I've never met, not a, I'm not a client or anything like that, and they reach out, they send those mass emails to say, hey, do you want to talk in this time of crisis? Which is a kind of a, they're trying to make it very personal, but I'm, um, I know they want to sell me something. And I thought, of course, this, this is a good, it's a good idea, but uh, uh, not, not really what I need right now. But um, anyway, uh, just a little anecdote. And um, well, it's, it's fascinating. And well, the, yeah, the that's one of, oh, I'm sorry, to, the, no, sorry. to your point, that's one of the things we are evaluating also in, in my current offering and that we're talking about that it's how to communicate now. You know, suddenly you receive emails from every single email, you know, every single product you ever bought about COVID, right? Yeah. Reach out. So you, I'm sure you were out? in the day. Yeah. Really, I don't, I'm sorry, uh, shampoo X, I don't care what you're doing for COVID. I really don't. Why are you telling me what your team is doing for COVID? Mm. Why, when, when you don't have anything to say, don't say it. Like it's basically don't go with the flow. That's basic uh, PR. Don't go with the flow of the media. Don't go with the flow of the communications of everybody. 
think about what you're doing. Just because somebody, everybody else is sending that email. Do you really need to send it? Do, do, they, do they need to know about you? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I, wish they could, I wish they could hear you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, they I did it. You know, one of my clients right? came and they, one of my clients said and came and said, oh, I want to send an email. Okay, what do you have to say? You're, you're virtual. You were always virtual. What, what, they know you're working. <laughs> so your whole database? Oh, okay. Let's talk to your clients. And we did a video very informal one from the CEO saying, hey, just touching base, we're here for you. Just letting you know our operations continue normally. Um, let us know if there's anything we can do for you. That's it. But only to clients, not to everybody and their mothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that's great. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. I think as well is reaching out from the CEO is, is really exactly the, the right time to do it, right? You don't need to hear them then directly all the time, but um, this is the, the time when people can step step, uh, step up from their home office. It doesn't matter where you are. And um, yes, and you know, send something meaningful. Um, as, we're, um, as we're approaching the end, I want to ask you as well, what do you see as you know, perhaps the most uh, exciting developments that are happening um, in, the, in the medium term, you know, not just linked to the crisis, but um, where do you see this uh, marketing of wealth tech, fintech going? Um, I feel, well, of course, the crisis has accelerated the, the, the need for um, the implementation of technology which is very exciting. Um, in the long term, what I've seen these last few years is that change has been slow, but it has been happening. Um, and it's been slow, I feel like it's because of all the legacy issues that the, industries, the industry has. Um, it's not only the willingness from financial services to implement it, it's just that sometimes the process is so painful that um, it takes years. You know, the, the, leg the legacy that they have from everything they've been doing up to now, um, it's so huge that it takes a long time. But right now, this is all being accelerated. And I've seen companies that actually are trying to move clients from one system to the other completely instead of trying to modify existing systems which i felt that was the the smartest way to go mm. um you know fintechs that launch just the new product independently and and work to move clients from one system to the other and be more successful um so that's what i i feel i feel is exciting uh seeing examples of companies just you know, uh, hitting it out of the park in terms of how mm -hmm. simple it is to really interact with them. That's what really inspires me. And that's what, what I, I find that is uh, the next frontier in terms of, of marketing, because I feel like marketing is right now should evolve into how do you hit it out of the park with every single client that you touch. How do you, you know, just blow their minds in the way, in the simplest way that you could help them? Yeah, not very interesting. And um, well, anyway, there's a lot to talk about that. I think uh, 
it's uh, that reminds me of one of the things that uh, Amazon, the Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, has been saying, and I've, this videos from him saying that from tw you know whatever when it was it launched, yeah, almost over twenty years ago, where he was already saying that to say, oh, it's all about uh, the customer experience and what what things they might expect, and that's our focus at Amazon, and that single focus on blowing people's mind, like you said. Well, they, they, they've become the most valuable company in the world. Um, exactly. And um, so it's definitely something worth considering. And it's something we could talk about for a long time. Yeah, I think it's worth unfortunately. Really let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's wrap it up. And I'd like to wrap it up with a few quickfire questions. Yeah. Lighthearted. Um, so the first one is, what would you, so finance is in your blood. So maybe that's a hard one for you. But uh, hmm. what would you do if you were to completely change career paths? Uh, any career you I want. would be a psychologist. All right. That's an interesting one. <laughs> What's your hidden talent? Hidden talent. Um, mm, mm. Or not so hidden? Not so hidden. <laughs> um, I like to, you know, um, paint mandalas. All right. This is like a hobby. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, the things you couldn't do without while being confined? Wine. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense, makes perfect sense. And I think it's, it's kind of an Argentinian link as well, right? You guys have such great wine. Actually, no, I started drinking wine since the confinement started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? You started? <laughs> oh, God. So the confinement, sometimes I feel like it's it's like the like smoking a cigarette. So if, if you manage to stop doing it for three months you might stop it for years but i guess it works the other way around yeah exactly doing it, you might have, all right uh, on a dangerous path but an enjoyable one uh, a few things about um, what we can do right now so your favorite place to go on holidays um i haven't been but i wanted to go to the utah desert all right. um like relaxing and adventure at the same time okay next on the list Favorite place to hang out with friends? Um, around the pool with, with a barbecue. Oh, that's a very Floridian answer. Yes, yes. Great one. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, then, yeah, that's all I've got. So thank you so much, Alejandro. It's been really great chatting to you. I wish we had more time, but maybe we can do another conversation another day. Um, it was just uh, fantastic to um, hear all your insights and advice. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening and thank you to our guests who make this possible. Subscribe to never miss an episode. As this is a new broadcast, if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes and your favorite podcast player, that would be great. Let's work together to accelerate fintech towards the 2030s.